From Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect, and this is Land Stories, with me, David Seawick. Each episode explores a different topic, such as the people, business, neighborhoods, communities, buildings, and other phenomena that make up the history of our college and our region. We tell stories, and in doing so, we connect the past to the present. And on Land Stories today, I am joined by Timothy Bowman, a very special guest that has agreed to come on the program, and we are going to have a lovely conversation all about uh, various aspects of local history here, and welcome to our program. Thank you. Timothy has been involved in the Historical Society of Greater Lansing for quite some time, and that's actually how I met Timothy. Uh, Graciously, he agreed to come on to the program, and what I really wanted to do was ask him a bit about some of his work in looking at local history. And in particular, I have an interest in some of the work that Timothy has done in looking at local newspapers. So welcome. Thank you again. And how did your interest in uh, local history of this community start? And maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and then that'll get into it. I'm much on talking about myself personally, but I've been a South Lansing resident all my life. I have a big family. My mother was the youngest of 10. And I just, just keeping track of all the cousins. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather was a fifth of 10. So he had a whole bunch of cousins and got into writing down all the cousins and writing down birthdays and stuff. And, and then I got into to genealogy in the 90s, mm-hmm. doing a lot of that research way before all the internet came on. Some of the same people were doing uh local history. Mm -hmm. So I would start going to the programs. Mm -hmm. I really didn't go uh, get really into that a lot until mid 2000s there and started doing research down at the downtown library Mm -hmm. where they had uh, microfilm machines and they still do. Sure. And that actually brings up one of the things I really wanted to get into here. And that is how our community has all these resources in it that maybe some people don't know about when we're endeavoring to do some type of local history project and genealogy or family histories, I find to be a very useful way for a lot of people to get into local history. And it sounds to me like that was the uh, case with you. So we can imagine being in a Wayback Machine. And the Wayback Machine takes us way back to when this type of research was done exactly as Timothy has described through things like microfilm. And for a little bit of an explanatory note, for those of you that don't know what microfilm is, Before the days of digital imaging, the way that documents were stored in a similar way was this uh, thing, this system called microfilm. And what it was is exactly as the terminology describes. The uh, system would take photos of documents, and then it would essentially develop those photos like an old photo was developed at the time, and it would turn them into tiny, tiny, tiny little slides that were called microfilm because these slides then would appear on rolls and then you would load the rolls of film into a machine there was essentially a magnifying glass that was situated in the proper way over the film and then there you go you could look at the screen that projected uh, magnified the documents that have been restored that way and the university of michigan actually came up with one of the first microfilm systems in the world and the reason why they did it is because they were subcontracted by the federal government to record the census that way. So in a roundabout way, that gets us to, Timothy, where you mentioned the Capital Area District Library. So do they still have 
those records there that you're looking at a microphone do they still have the census information uh, yes they do up it's up on the second floor of the downtown branch of the library which actually was Lansing Public Library before for anybody who might be older sure it does know that but they have them in the alcove over there and then you take them to this machine mm-hmm. which has actually been digitized now you don't have to in the old days you used to crank them mm-hmm. to turn the film but now they have it all digitized it took a while to learn but I sure. like trial and error type of thing to uh, to do that there and basically just know what date you're looking for and, mm-hmm. and try to find it or maybe just want to browse old papers you just sure that you remembered when you were a kid mm-hmm. and the newspapers are going to get into uh, here in a moment but just as a follow-up thought on looking through that census information so the United States Census has been around for a long time it's actually one of the uh, relatively speaking few things that the federal government still does now in the year 2023 that the Constitution mandates that it uh, do because of course census comes from the constitutional mandate that the population be counted so we as Americans know how to proportion the House of Representatives so going all the way back to the very beginning of the United States well not the very very beginning but since the Constitution has been around there have been censuses taken every 10 years and going all the way back to the very first census the basic way that the government does this this being counting people is it records every single individual who lives in the United States up until about 1970 that was done by people going door to door to every known address in the entire United States of America and writing all of those hundreds of millions of names down by hand on pieces of paper and those are the microfilms therefore uh, that Timothy refers to that he would have been looking at um, at the Capitol Area District Library, and there are uh, hundreds of libraries around the United States of America actually that house these census records in a way that they were compiled back then. Now, around 1970, that changes, and the federal government started relying more on mail. Uh, there were some phone calls, actually, that the government did briefly for a time period. And then now, as we are in the year 2023, of course, a lot of those, re- well, all of the census records now are digitized and they originate in that form. And the the counting of the population has changed then. It's not going door to door anymore. But with that said, all of you who have a driver's license in Michigan, whether you realize it or not, you are using a system that was designed actually to search through the census way back when, before the records were digitized. And it's called the Soundex system. Mm-hmm. And I see, Timothy, you're shaking your head. <laughs> you you discovered this, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You always yeah. You find your, like, mine is, like, if a Bowman is B550, it started with. Remember that all the time. Sure. Handle look for stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, my uh, driver's license number uses the same alphanumeric code as everybody's in the state of Michigan does. Because the state of Michigan, for the first four characters of your driver's license, they use the same system that was devised to search through the census in the pre-digital day. The name of that actual system is the Soundex. So I got to ask you a quick question, Timothy, before we move on to the newspapers I wanted to ask you about. Did you discover anything in terms of family stories that really, really stuck out just by looking at uh, census data? Or was it pretty much as expected? And what I really mean by this is did you discover any relatives that lived in this area that you didn't know about before? or ages that you had gotten wrong, or just any of the type of personal information you could find on a census? Basically, when I started with genealogy, like I should say at the library in Michigan, which is now part of the Michigan History Center, mm-hmm. that's where I did the genealogy, not the cattle. Okay. But uh, 
basically all I knew was my grandparents and my great great grandparents' names, how people get started. And knowing some of the weren't too many um, famous people, like everybody, everything they always look for someone famous connected to it. Sure. But you go back for another, you probably could. You go back far enough. One I found was, uh, well, I actually was talking to someone recently about Civil War ancestor. Mm-hmm. And one of was, his name was Joseph Prescott. And he was with the 6th Michigan Infantry out of Eaton Rapids. And uh, I had a family photo. It was, uh, like I said, this is my great-great-grandfather. And his fingers shot off. And a little bit of stories I heard from my aunt and uncles, because mm-hmm. that's the story they were told. And then to actually find it in the uh, National Archives that it, his fingers were shot off. And as the picture shown, it, I just thought, by the way, it's shown, it's like maybe could have just been curled his fingers up. Sure. But I thought that was interesting to confirm that family story. Like you always yeah. hear, there's also his uh, mother-in-law, Mm-hmm. Uh, who my grandmother was named after, Harriet Sophrona, Sophrona Prescott Saddlemeyer, and then Harriet Sophrona Fox Prescott was her name. Uh, her father was a man named Gary Fox, and he was like the one of the first pioneers of Brookfield Township, which is just west of Eaton Rapids. Sure. There's a Fox Cemetery that was named after him, mm-hmm. basically because he was just the first one in, the, in there and donated some land. And seeing this, actually his picture and his second wife, not the one my ancestor was, in the Eaton County history book. That's yeah. about the only real famous connection I found, but, but like I said, you go back far enough, I got a Mayflower ancestors, but I only went like back about six generations, so one else traced it way back. Sure, and I have a family that are into genealogy as well, and, and we've discovered some pretty remarkable things uh, in looking through our family records too, and, and history really is, whether we look at it or not, it's the story of many, many, many families. And one of the neat things about this type of topic to look into is when you're looking through uh, family records, you, you do encounter the way that people in the past kept track of stuff, including the population. Now, that gets me to keeping track of stuff, gets me to the newspapers. And I know that uh, you have done a bit of work looking through some of the old newspapers of this area in search of things. And Lansing has right now, of course, um, it has a variety of media sources that are around here. The two newspapers in this town that I think have the most readership for sure would be the Lansing State Journal and the Lansing City Pulse. Now, those papers have been around for a while, of course, and the Lansing... uh, I was going to say the City Pulse has only been around since 2001, Sure, I wouldn't really, but... (laughs) Yeah. 200 people might think so that's a long time, but I I really don't. I I don't either. Um, My thought is, obviously, the the State Journal's been around a long time. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it was 1855. And what was that newspaper called when it was started? Uh, The Lansing State Republican, which back then, if people know history, Republican was actually the progressive party back then, and Democrats were the conservative party, and they switched. Sure. And uh, newspapers, uh, just as a little bit of explanatory note here, newspapers in this country at one time, not all of them, but many of them were overtly partisan. In fact, they were actually started as an avowed partisan, um, you know, spin maybe to use the term nowadays, uh, on events of the day. And so it wouldn't have been uncommon to have a newspaper in a community like Lansing. It was called the Lansing Republican. And of course, direct reference to the Republican Party. Uh, what were some other newspapers that have come and gone throughout the years in Lansing? Republican was until 1911. Uh, from 1870 to 1911, there was a Lansing Journal. Mm-hmm. 
Atlanta Journal was more of a conservative paper. They combined in 1911 to become the state journal. The Atlanta State Journal name didn't come along until later. They just combined the state Republican and Atlanta Journal became the state journal Got it. since 1911. And there was some other assorted ones. I couldn't think of the names right now, but there were some German papers in the late 1800s. Oh, that sure. You can find at the Library of Michigan in German language because a lot of uh, early Lansing were a lot of German settlers. Sure. There's even a church over here, German Methodist, that started out that way. Okay. Yeah, not far at all from where we're at. We yeah. are in the uh, studios of Lansing Community College, and if we walked out of this building. Just a few blocks, yep, yeah. That's right, up to the uh, west over towards Walnut right. Street. Uh, right across from Ferris Park for anybody who wanted to know that. Yeah. And what Timothy's referring to is that the neighborhood that uh, surrounds Lansing Community College's uh, downtown campus was at one time a neighborhood that a lot of German immigrants uh, living in it. And I know the Historical Society of Greater Lansing has done, in fact, even historic walking tours, including those that uh, speak to the German heritage of our area. Now, Lansing's been around uh, since the 1840s. It was established in 1847 to be a new town that would be the capital city of Michigan. And of course, it has some, you know, there's some people living here before that. There's been uh, indigenous peoples living this year for quite some time. But the Lansing, as Lansing, you know, sort of as we know it now, really does come from that time period, mid-1800s. So what over the years, uh, and by over the years, I mean the years that this area uh, has had newspapers printed in it, is there one or two stories in particular that you saw covered just more extensively than any others? And newspapers in this area, it could be a local story, it could be a state story, it could be a national story. Is there anything that really strikes you uh, as you've as you look through all these papers through the years, or, or are there themes? Maybe if not any one particular or two particular events, themes that strike out that seem to be encountered frequently. Hmm. I, it's kind of hard to be generalized because there's so many just trying to go through my head. I should say, City Lance actually became a city in 1859, mm-hmm. uh, but. I don't know, it was just something that popped up the other day about a story in 1963 about an elephant that went berserk. In Lansing. In Lansing. That was near the, uh, well, it's still Logan Center, Logan Square now, mm-hmm. Center. Where they used to have circuses there. And a lot of people have, uh, follow the Historical Society of uh, Greater Lansing Facebook page. The story seems to come up a lot. Mm-hmm. And I guess it was a story, it was a circus, and it got loose. It was going down the streets. And it got a lot of, lot of news coverage at the time. As you can see, just trying to think of another one that's like purely local. Well, let me ask you a little bit more about that elephant story. So what year was this? I believe it was the summer of 1963, but not 100% about that. Sure. And, and, you know, 1963, summer of 63, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. State nationally, Logan Square, where's that at? That is the corner of Holmes and what used to be Logan Street, but now it's Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Okay. That's why I called it Logan Center, because that was what Logan, and, and that changed that changed over in the 90s. And that's when they changed the, the name. name. To honor Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Boulevard. And yeah. for uh, a listenership that's not all from the Lansing area, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, formerly known as Logan Street, it's also M99, isn't it? Yes. As it runs south from Lansing uh, down to Eaton Rapids. Yep. And so Logan Square is the corner of Holmes and Logan, now Holmes and... and uh, Martin Luther King Jr. So South Lansing, and they had a circus there. Yeah, they did. Uh, they used to have them because that was 
well, basically the South Side at that time. So I, I don't yeah. remember all the details, but they used to have circuses all over the place, and that was one of the places they would have in the park. Okay. But just myself, yeah. I always remember it when it was at the Lansing Civic Center all the time. Okay. That the old people remember the old Civic Center. And and of course, an elephant you know, wandering <laughs> the streets of Lansing is not something we encounter every day. No. In the uh, 1800s, there was a, a lovely old colloquial expression in America that said to see the elephant. And if you really wanted to go do something that was extraordinary or you were trying to impress upon somebody the significance of an event, the slain terminology that people oftentimes use was to see the elephant because elephants <laughs> were, you know, something spectacular that folks didn't see every day. So looks like in the 1960s, people truly did see the elephant there. Um, a few years ago, I was working on a research project that uh, actually I'm still working on. It's taken on a variety of forms through the years. And in this particular part of the project, I um, spent part of a summer in the Library of Michigan going through old newspapers. What I was really worried, or not worried, excuse me, what I was really looking for was how newspapers outside of the Detroit area covered the riots in Detroit in 1967. And what I was really trying to figure out was in the uh, Kerner Commission report, which is the report that the federal government commissioned to look at rioting in the 1960s, it had a very uh, sort of specific cause or several specific causes that it alluded to. And I wanted to see, hey, what were local newspapers at the time saying about the riots in Detroit? And the reason why I bring that up now is oftentimes what we have in a, a situation is when you look through old newspapers, you might start by saying, okay, I am going to try to find out what happened on a certain date. And then as you start looking through all those newspapers in search of that particular date, it takes you here, there, and everywhere. It's sort of the old, the old way of what we get with Wikipedia now, right? So you tell us about the uh, elephant story, which I think is really cool. What are some other ones you've encountered that just pop into the top of your mind that I think are, or that you might think are, are just typical day in Lansing type of stuff from way back when? Not to put you on the spot, but I got one that, that I can step in if you're, uh, you're not thinking one right off the top of my head. Yes, not, like I said, that's only because I would just, it came up again the mm -hmm. other day. So that's the only thing sure. I'm trying to remember. Mm -hmm. Some other frequent ones that come up a lot, but I can't. <laughs> well, sports are certainly a big deal around yeah. here, aren't they? Yes. And yes. we have, of course, Michigan State University, right? Uh, yeah, thumbs up. Go green, go white. And they are, uh, of course, not far from here. Um, what are some of the big sporting events that you uh, you think the newspapers around here really covered a lot of? Oh, my, my first memories, 1979, Irvin Magic Johnson. And yep. And uh, Special K, Gregory Kelser. Mm -hmm. I still have a ri very wrinkled copy of 1979 paper that I, I, they had a special edition at the time. Yeah. And uh, I remember going to Allen Street School at the time. We were bussed over to the east side there mm -hmm. at that time. Actually, our teachers let us go out there when they had the parade a couple of days later. Oh, yeah. Because there was only like uh, Allen Street Schools, uh, where the former Allen Street School now it's. Uh, uh, privately owned, mm -hmm. but like two blocks up, and we walked, and when we took us up there, it was I didn't think we'd be able to go, but I remember last going there. I actually made a point when they won again in two thousand to go back to the same spot. Oh, that's really <laughs> cool. That is really really cool. Yeah, I um, I wasn't living in this area in nineteen seventy nine, and I wasn't very old anyway, so I wouldn't have remembered <laughs> it if I uh, had been. 
But the uh, next one, I certainly um, have a pretty good memory of that, too. And uh, that was quite the event, that's for sure. And I um, certainly would be remiss not to mention the newspaper uh, that has taken a few forms through the years in terms of what the finished product actually looked like. But I'm thinking of the student newspaper here at Atlantic Community College called The Lookout. And over the years, Atlantic Community College, of course, has compiled those old editions of The Lookout. And uh, we have those in a, um, a couple of different locations that you can search through. I was looking through old editions of The Lookout years ago. And I remember uh, encountering a picture that was taken of when the Lansing Community College basketball team won what at the time, and I think it's actually still called this, probably should have looked it up before the show started, but I didn't think I'd be talking about this. But it was the junior college, the, the uh, National Junior College Athletic Association, the NCJAA, and it is the equivalent of the, well, it is the NCAA's community college wing, so to speak. And so um, Lansing Community College has a strong athletic history and, and with very good basketball program through the years, and we won the national championship way back then. And I remember looking at that photo thinking to myself, this is just a really, really cool archive to have and, and the fact that it, you know, it survives. And that's really what I think the value is in these newspapers. Where else would you find that information? Find uh, specifically. Oh, well, stuff that happened way back when, you know, if it well, wasn't they, for the newspapers, where would you oh, go for it? Well, you mentioned the newspapers.com too. It's been around since 2016. That's really made things easier. Mm-hmm. But down at Cattle Local History, down inside the same library that I mentioned, downtown branch. They're only open twice a week now, mm-hmm. but they have a lot of lot of things down there. They have uh, old city directories. You mm-hmm. can look up someone who lived there, uh, see council proceedings mm-hmm. to see what was going on. One of the things they promote a lot is their um, real estate cards, the Stebbins real estate sure. cards that sure. they have. If you want to try to find a picture of your old house, mm-hmm. that's one thing that they get lots of requests for. I actually volunteered there for a while, for a couple years back. Sure. You can look and ask them for the, give them your address there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do it by email or call them or just show up when they're actually there and try to find old picture of a house. And sometimes it will tell you when it was built mm-hmm. and have a picture and a lot of other description of the house in detail about how it was the feet and maybe it had a basement or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's a very popular thing. Sure. And uh, the state archives, which is also in next to the library in Michigan, and like I said, the big Michigan History Center, they have the state archives. They have a lot of records like the uh, Civil War records. No, I shouldn't say Civil War, but some Civil War records, but they will lead you to the National Archives there. Of course, now the State Journal Archives is over there, too. They're a picture. They're a huge picture collection. Going back to cattle again, they have a thing called Cattle Local History Online, where they have a lot mm-hmm. of pictures you can go to. Uh, also have your house on there, some of them. Some of them, like I said, better to go there. Some are not online. A lot of stuff. You want to do local history or genealogy, everybody assumes everything's online, but it's not. Sure. Still hasn't, still isn't. Yeah, and I mean, I think that kind of to wrap things up here, we're, we're almost oh, out of time. The fact that we have all of these resources available really is a an incredible asset to this community. It makes it possible that we know what happened in the past. And if we didn't have those resources, you know, this community would be a, a uh, I think a, um, a poor place of knowledge. So for that, we're very grateful. And I am grateful to have you 
as the uh, guest today. So thank you very much for coming in, Timothy. Thank you, too. You betcha. Absolutely. And we uh, will see each other again. You've been listening to Land Stories with me, David Seawick. For more information on this program and to stream past episodes, visit lccconnect.org. LCC Connect is the official home of the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College, offering hours of original and exciting programming. Hosted by faculty, staff, and community members, LCC Connect explores our college's work in the community, important topics in higher education, and our vision for the future. Catch the vibe on 89.7 FM or online at lccconnect.org. Until next time, remember, keep telling good stories.